Ion 2020, episode 35. Have 2020 vision with Ion 2020, the podcast that brings you all the news and events in the lead up to the next presidential election. I am Ray Eaton, and I will keep you up to date as we approach November 2020 with a libertarian perspective of all the candidates and their policies along with the news. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's clear our vision. Hey everybody, it's Ray Eaton, your fanatical host of Ion 2020, the place where you're going to find all of the news and the information that's regarding this 2020 election cycle that's coming up. It is getting exciting, guys, I tell you what. Um, I don't know if you listened to the last couple of shows, you know that I was going on a snowboarding trip and I am back now, back in action, and I only missed one episode. That was your Tuesday episode. I do apologize for that. Um, I was really trying to break away for a few minutes during the snowboarding trip to go ahead and uh, and record something for you, but I just couldn't do it. There was a lot going on that day. This, the weather was great. Um, we were out there all day, and then my son wanted to go out and do some snowboarding at night as well, and uh, I just had to spend some time doing that. You know, family always comes first in my world. Uh, that's just the way I am, and I just wanted to make sure that I was able to get you guys a show f- going though and that's why I'm here to go ahead and record for you guys and uh, I am back you will get a new episode every day Monday through Friday like I've been doing for the last month and a half now and I'll continue to do that until November of 2020 when we have the final results I'll still go a little bit after that you know but once we have those final results in and who is the president of the United States for the next four years we'll be uh I'll be bringing you all of the news and all the related events until then. So that'll be a Monday through Friday show. Like I said in the past, though, I do go on vacation every so often with my family. I take uh, take pride in that. That's something that we make sure that we do on a regular basis because I believe in experiences with my family. And uh, that's something that I do, you know. But um, what, I'll, what I'm going to try to do, like I did this time, I was able to record two shows for you uh, previous to going on vacation and that allowed me to only miss one show for the time that I was gone and that's what I did and uh, now I'm back though I am back and back in action and I was keeping a little bit of eye on the news while I was gone I tried to the best that I can and uh, came across some good little tidbits for you and uh, one of them was while I was on that on that trip I recorded real fast and that was about Bill Weld entering the race uh, he declared himself as a Republican. He is the guy, as you guys know, uh, from listening to yesterday's episode. If you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to it. Uh, but that was Bill Weld. He's the previously, he was the uh, Libertarian vice presidential candidate back in 2016. And then about a week or two ago, he denounced his Libertarian, uh, or, or he went out and he declared himself as a Republican. And you know, register as a Republican, and then he declared himself uh, last week, or over the weekend, to run against Donald Trump as a Republican. Um, So I did a show on that yesterday, and that was really fun. Uh, Anyway, guys, go ahead, while you get a second, if you can, I would appreciate it. Go ahead, since you're listening to this show, um, subscribe to it. You might as well. I'm, I'm putting out some decent content every so often. 
I still jabber or jabber on too much, and I you know uh, say too many ums and ahs. But hey, uh, I think I'm getting a little bit better as as the days progress. As I record more episodes, things are uh, you know th- things are looking up for Ion 2020. I've I've made a dedicated effort to try to do this thing Monday through Friday for you. So if you can, just you know subscribe to the show. Might as well if you're listening. Uh, can't can't go wrong with that. And if you like the show, go ahead and give me a five star rating. Go ahead and review the show. If you want to follow me on on Twitter, you can do that as well. I am I on the Empire. That's at I on the Empire, and that's like that's the Twitter handle that I have for you. And that's where I post a little bit about you know the things that are going on within the 2020 election, but also just you know news events that are happening. I retweet news events that are happening across the world because I look at the whole world in the a way that America affects the whole world, right? Some good, some bad, you know, but I mean, a lot of bad things when it comes to the foreign interventions and so forth. I mean, obviously those are, those are things that I have a huge challenge with as well, if you ever listen to me talk. So, but go ahead and subscribe, go ahead and, you know, like, go ahead and rate the review, rate and review the show. That would be very helpful to me and I would appreciate that. So, I guess I'll just move right along. So, biggest news that I came across, obviously, and I have to address it, Bernie Sanders, the Bernster, that's what I've always called him, the Bernster, he is uh, running, he has decided to throw his name into the hat for the 2020 uh, Democratic nomination. That is your Vermont Senator's Bernie Sanders, and he is the guy that made the big splash in 2016, right? He, in 2015, when he announced that he was going to run for the Democratic nomination, he was the only person, practically, that ran against Hillary Clinton. Now, there were two other people. I think one of them was, like, the former governor of Vermont. Not Vermont, sorry. The former governor of uh, Virginia and another guy from Maryland or something. Like, those guys decided to run against Hillary, but after the first debate was over, they dropped out. And then for the rest of the time, 2016, it was just Hillary v. Bernie, right? They were duking it out, head-to-head, boom, boom, boom. And uh, if you remember, after the election was over, you kind of came across the fact that Bernie kind of got screwed out of this nomination, man. Um, The Democratic National Committee was you know, shooing him away and, and, you know, getting voters to not vote for Bernie Sanders. And they were, they had a particular favor, a favor, obviously. I mean, the, the queen herself, Hillary Clinton, she was the person that was just, she was gonna be it, you know, and the Democrats kind of just pushed Bernie Sanders aside, but you could not kill his, his message. His message was, ringing strong within the progressive left, right? He was, in 2016, it was unknown, man, but he was for universal health care. He was for the minimum wage being $15 an hour. Those were far left views back then. And now, now today, as I'm talking now, those are just mainstream views within the Democratic Party, man. So he, you know, they tried to kill the messenger, but they couldn't kill the message. And Bernie Sanders comes on strong in 2016 with these hard left messages, these socialist, these democratic socialist messages. 
these socialist message messages where with the name Democrat attached to it, so it sounds a little bit better, right? And uh, kids grasped on grasped onto that thing, man. I remember my nephew talking about it. He was a huge Bernie supporter. He wanted Bernie Sanders to win because, you know, he was the progressive in the in that 2016 election. He was the one that was gonna take it to the man. He was the outsider. You know, he was the older guy with with some good good message that he wanted to get out there. And you know, the the younger people love that guy. I mean, that I think the I think younger people seem to have a very socialist look, you know, socialist view of this of this world. And there are some that are, have that libertarian view. I've met many of them as well, but um, they grasped onto this Bernie Sanders thing back in 2016. But now today, the messenger was out there. The messenger, they tried, like I said, they tried to kill the messenger, but they couldn't kill his message, man. And uh, it is a mainstream view, the universal health care. Medicare for all is what they're pass, trying to pass it as, right? Which is just a foot in the door for a government takeover of the entire medical system, obviously. Medi- oh, Medicare or medicine as a right, right? Healthcare as a right. He wants to do a $15 minimum wage. Those are things that were just far left ideas, kooky ideas back then. And now they're the mainstream. You got Elizabeth Warren running on it. You got Tulsi Gabbard running it. You got lots of these, almost, you know, almost every announced candidate within the, on the Democratic ticket, they are all for those same views that Bernie Sanders has. And uh, that's what a lot of the news articles are saying today about him, right? Is that today it's going to be a lot harder for him to get that nomination than it was in 2016 because where he had a, a message that could, to completely distinguish himself from Hillary Clinton, who is just a middle-of-the-road war hawk Democrat, right? Uh, with with some kind of liberalish views going on, and then you had Bernie Sanders, who was like way different than Hillary Clinton and what he was saying. He had that one specific message that he took to the news day in and day out. He he had one speech pretty much day in and day out that he talked about. And these liberal Democrats now, especially the younger ones, and a lot of these you know far left progressive. That's kind of the mainstream of the Democratic Party now. And a lot of these people are have announced already. So this is what um, it says on vice.com. And there was an article that was published on the 19th. And it says uh, Bernie Sanders 2020 run is going to be a lot harder than 2016. The Vermont senator has officially entered the race. But can he recapture the momentum he had when going up against Hillary Clinton? Bernie Sanders announced his run, 2020, his 2020 run, Tuesday morning on NPR in social media, promising, promising an unprecedented and historic grassroots campaign that would once again upend the political order in the Democratic Party and the country as a whole. That's what that, that's what the article says, and this is absolutely true. He upended the political order in the Democratic Party because today. Almost every Democrat that's running in this Democratic primary are saying the same things that he said to, you know, three years ago when he started running for president. So then he says, then it goes on, running for president for the second time in four years, Sanders is betting 
that his program of liberal social democracy that almost upset Hillary Clinton in 2016 primary will be enough to carry him to the nomination this time around against a larger field of Democrats. Sanders, whose prioritization of economic equality and social justice has made him one of the country's most popular politicians, has a built-in base of support and high name recognition from the last race. That's true. So he's automatically a huge contender within this camp, within this Democratic field, right? Then it, then it goes on. Still, he's headed into choppy waters. The Vermont senator is already weathering a storm centered around multiple sexual harassment scandals involving aides who served him in his 2016 campaign. And he'll also have to contend with a group of candidates who are poised to siphon off his support. In addition, Sanders will face a party establishment still rooting for him to lose. And that's true. He's not a po- he's not a popular Democrat, but he has popular views within the Democratic Party. I even read one person who says, why is he trying to run as a Democrat when he's not even a real Democrat? So Democrats don't, the establishment Democrats don't like him as it is, right? So, and I've already heard them talking about him having the sexual harassment case against his campaign and all that. So they're going to bring that stuff out as well. And then a lot of people, you hear them say, oh, well, he's old news now and he's just an old guy and we need young blood and blah, blah, blah. And then you also hear people say, oh, he's just a white guy, you know, an old white guy. And we want a minority or a female or whatever to be the democratic nominee as well so he has a lot of those things against him but he is the most i mean he was hugely popular in 2016 but that could be just because he was the only other person running against hillary but a lot of these candidates today have very similar views to him and they're they have those very similar social democratic socialist or democratic socialist i guess you'll call it because that's what he says i'm a democratic socialist is what he says but really he's a communist and um i don't know about a communist but he's a socialist and socialism leads to communism um and i i don't think he's very shy about that when he says that either because his views are you know he has a somehow and i i I don't understand how people have this view. They are so skeptical of government, right? Having corporations and money being able to influence politics and influence the people in politics, right? They have so much, but they they don't put one and one together. When the government has so much power, has so many things that it's doing, when it has its, when it has its hands in everything from education to the military to the taxes on the people, the taxes on the corporations, that you're going to have more and more people up there trying to get special favors for their particular causes. And that's where all that corruption springs from. So when you have a government that ends up doing more because he wants to give them complete control of healthcare, wants to give them complete control of all education, take away, give them complete control of the financing of schools and giving kids free education, you know, up until college and so forth. When you have the government getting involved in every aspect and every facet of our economy, when that happens, you're going to have more and more people trying to get a piece of that pie who are going to have more and more, you know, more and more companies and more and more groups are going to send lobbyists to Washington to try to get special cutouts 
into that piece of the pie. And I just don't know how socialist-minded people don't understand that. That's the cause of the problem is government power. So you have to take that power away from the government. I just don't understand where they don't see that, but they just don't see it. They say every solution that they have is more power to the government. But the government is just a bunch of corruptible people. It's not a bunch of ideologues. It's a bunch of people that go there because they're looking for power or bureaucrats who are just looking for a job. And that's it. They're corruptible people. But you have, you know, you have these social democrats, these socialist people that just think every solution needs to be the government taking it over. But we know when the government does things, it does it haphazardly. It does it, you know, economically. They're they're not there to save money. They're just there. They always want more money for the cause. You see that in education. America spends more money per capita on kids than you know, most of these nations that are over in like Japan and Korea and so forth, um, spends way more money, spends way more money than the private schools do per student and they get less out of it. Right. So, and yeah, private school kids are going to school and they're, you know, their parents have money and they're probably a little bit better off and, you know, they're, they're not going to school hungry and things like that, but still, School, the more the more money that's pumped into education, it just has not gotten better since the 70s and 80s and the 90s. It just hasn't gotten better overall. Um, so, but it's always the teachers, the teachers unions and stuff. We need to get more money for the kids and so forth. We need more money per student. And that's not the, that, that's, that's not the solution. But these socialists, they always think that the solution is have the government take it over and it'll be better. And I just don't see how they don't realize that that's where the corruption springs from, man. That is just, that is where it springs from. It blows my mind. So back to Bernie Sanders, though. Bernie Sanders, he, you know, he has a few little skeletons in his closet from this 2016 campaign that they're trying to bring up. But he is the person that ignited this movement. And it's just amazing that... um that he has so many people in this race that are going to be running with him with very similar views. So, but they he he was the person that allowed that to happen, right? If it wasn't for him bringing those views up back then, then a lot of these candidates would not be able to get into the race with such a openly social democratic social democratic message, right? Um, so here's what Fox News was saying about it, and you always know Fox News is going to have their right-leaning um, statements. So they always, they put in right here with the, the Republican National Committee, and this is what Fox News says, the Republican National Committee cited his influence on the field's present-day present policies in blasting his announcement. They said, Bernie Sanders is a self-avowed socialist who wants to double your taxes so the government can take, your, take over your health care. The vast majority of voters oppose this radical agenda just like they are going to oppose all the 2020 Democrats who have rushed to embrace it. That's what RNC spokesman, spokesman Michael Ahern said. <clears throat> so Fox News mentioned that, and I think it's true, right? Um, Americans are very skeptical of socialism, even to this day. Younger people seem like they're more open to it, right? But younger people, they want everything. I mean, not all younger people. I apologize if you're younger, if you don't believe this. But a lot of younger people, I mean, the thing that they say is, 
oh, education is so expensive and I have so much, you know, so much debt on my hands when I'm graduating with my um, underwater, underwater pottery weaving degree from, you know, balls or, you know, Jim Blow State or something, right? Um, or I have, you know, these, the, the, just these completely useless degrees that kids get and they have, you know, $150,000 worth of debt racked up after college because they drank it all away. I mean, I, I went to college, t- what was it, you know, a while ago, but I mean, it was, it was over 10 years ago, but still I graduated with debt free. I think I took about four or $5,000 in loans the entire time. I would pay them off during the semester, during the semester, because I would work full time, graduated, you know, cum laude honors from a, from a decent university and I'm not complaining about having all this debt. And this, this was over 10 years ago, but it's still just as expensive then as it is now. Uh, maybe a little bit more expensive, but these kids, they'll take out the max amount, you know, $25,000, $30,000 in loans every single semester. And they'll, and a lot of that is so they could have some extra... Because I remember doing this my first couple of years, guys. I remember doing this where I would take out... I would get the Pell Grants that I was able to get. I was able to, I, I was going to school for free because I was in, I was in an honors program that allowed me to go to school, for, go to college for free. So it paid for my, I think it paid for my first two years of tuition, um, completely, but I would still take out the Pell Grants and I even took out a loan every so often, um, you know, like a thousand dollars or something. Uh, this was my first two years of college. I'd take out like a thousand dollar one semester for a loan and that would allow me to have extra spending money during that semester. So I didn't have to work as much. I mean, I remember doing that when you're young, you're thinking like that and you do stupid stuff, right? But when you have kids that are able to get now, they're just able to get these, these government backed loans that are, you know, you know, for as much as fifteen, twenty thousand $20,000 every semester, right? Uh, or every year. And you're graduating with a hundred thousand dollars in debt because you just pissed it all away. It's not because you, it's because you didn't want to work while you're in college or something. I don't know get a job while you're in college. That's all I got to say. But anyway, you have a lot of kids. My point on that is you have a lot of kids nowadays who are graduating with lots of debt and their biggest complaint is, oh, I wish it was forgiven or maybe college should be free without realizing what the actual root of the problem is. There is a root to the problem, but they can't think about it and they don't have the the critical thinking skills maybe to realize what the root of the problem is they get they just go for oh well yeah the government should fix it the government should fix it that's that's the that's the solution to it the government should they should just you know pay for it when i remember my first economics professor the one that kind of got me towards a libertarian worldview where i was thinking from a libertarian perspective he said one of the first questions he raised to us was where does the government get its money? And nobody had any clue. None of us had any idea. We just thought the government just had the money, right? And then like, the, it, it opened my eyes to realize that the government only gets money in two ways. Or there might be three, I don't know. But let me get into it. You get the money through taxes. You get the money through borrowing that money. Through borrowing it like with treasury bonds, right? So they tax the people. They borrow that money through treasury bonds, so it has to be paid back later, though, through taxing the people. 
or the government could print the money. So I guess that's three ways, right? That's how the government, they're, they're, the government's not out there earning its money. It's confiscating it from the people. It is borrowing it from future, future generations of those people, or it's just blatantly printing it. And that's it. That's the only way the government's getting its money. So when you say, when a, when a, when a millennial says, oh, I have so much college debt, maybe the government should just forgive it. That, that's not possible because the government's not the one that's underwriting those loans. The government is securing those loans, but there's a private company of somehow, somehow that money is going from the Federal Reserve Bank there's there, to another bank, but there, there's somebody underwriting that money and the government coming and just paying it off. There's going to be a huge loss on that bank's part or the government's going to have to print money or borrow money to pay it, pay that loan for that student. And that's it. But somewhere, there, there's no such thing as loan forgiveness. There's no such thing as a free lunch. There's no such thing as free anything, right? If, uh, if the government prints that money, that means it's inflating the currency. So all of your savings is losing money as, it's, as they're inflating that currency. So there's, that gets into a whole lot more economic issues. There's a lot better people that can tell you about those things than I can. Recommend going to the Tom Woods show, and he probably has an episode about that stuff um, somewhere. But, you know, if you just, if you want to learn more about the economics of how the government gets its money, you know, just look it up because that, I mean, it's, it's just the fact that, I mean, you're going to have people that are having challenges, um, understanding these things. So go ahead and look it up if you can. Um, but anyway, but going on with my point, the students that have these ideas in their minds, that have these social liberal ideas in their minds, you know, the challenge, the challenge is, is just to sway them towards a libertarian direction, I guess. Um, but there are a lot of kids that are following Bernie Sanders from the 2016 campaign till now. And here he is, right? He is running for president. And that's my point. That's what I wanted to bring you guys today is let you know that he is running for president. Um, and it's exciting to see him in there. It's going to be exciting to see how he goes to market with his views. He's you know, a, a one-trick pony in the sense of when you listen to him talk, he's going to have a very similar pattern that he goes with every single time. Talking on the news, it's almost the same stories every single time. The, you know, the corporations are buying your government. We need to, you know, take from these corporations. We need to tax the rich people. We need a $15 minimum wage. We need health care as a right and so forth, right? But these are the same messages that a lot of these other candidates are going to have, and maybe they have more charisma than this guy. We'll see. I mean, I would love to see how he starts to pull down the road. That's all. That would be interesting to see, is how Bernie Sanders starts to pull. He has a lot of young supporters. I wonder if those people are going to continue to support him. We shall see. So, hey guys, I appreciate you listening today. I'm going to go ahead and wrap the show up. Um, my name is Ray Eaton. I am your host. I give you a libertarian take on these elections for 2020. This is I on 2020, your place for a clear vision for the 2020 election. If you can, go ahead and subscribe to the show and uh, give me a five-star rating and a review. And I will listen, or I will see you guys tomorrow. Uh, come on out and listen and have clear vision for the 2020 election with I on 2020.